0: A man become preeminent, he is expected to have enthusiasms. 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 What are mine? What draws my admiration? What is that which gives me joy? Dames! (laughs) Music! Baseball! Hello, and welcome to episode two of the Pull Hitter Podcast. Thanks for joining me today. Today, I will be starting a segment that will be a current theme throughout the offseason and the in season. The segment is called Three Up, Three Down. Am I being fairly clear? Yes, sir. Sir, do you see anything on this uniform indicating an officer? What does three up and three down mean to you, Airman? End of an inning. I will discuss three players on the rise and three players on the decline. The segment will take shape in many forms. I might be discussing the players for the current week, the upcoming month, or maybe the rest of the season. For Dynasty and Keeper leagues, I will be discussing my thoughts for the players moving forward to the next year or next couple of years. The segment will also be format specific at times where I will focus on either rotisserie or head-to-head or points leagues, as well as looking at players through the lens of a keeper or redraft league and sometimes auction or snake-specific formats. Since we do not have any baseball right now, at the moment, I thought I would take the time out to do a three-up, three-down segment where I will focus on auction keeper leagues. It might sound a little format-specific, but I promise that you can take the overall concept and apply it to your standard leagues in ways to help your team improve. For this specific episode, I'm going to break down three players I think you should try to trade for, 3 up, and 3 players who you should be actively shopping, 3 down. Conversely, the 3 up players will represent players that other owners might be down on, and the 3 down players will represent players whose values have risen to a point where you might be able to receive a great haul of players or a trade that will vastly improve your team. Recency bias runs prevalent in fantasy sports, and we need to capture the recency bias tendency that other owners show for players in a way to benefit your own team. Before we go over the players, I want to break down why I will be targeting the players who other owners might be down on in keeper auction leagues. Some of you might be in an auction keeper league where there are contracts given out to players. Some owners might play in a league where you keep players on a year-to-year basis where others might play in a little more detailed league that involves contracts for multiple years. In those leagues, you may have seen a post from an owner or received an email from an owner pleading to take a bad contract off of his team, or what they perceive to be a bad contract. In some cases, an owner might have better talent to freeze for the next year or players that outperformed their acquisition costs from the previous year and can be held over this year for a profitable price. It is in these instances where you need to be paying attention, scanning the rosters, and set yourself up for a deal that can benefit your team. Oftentimes, depending on the desperation of the other owner, it may come to a point where you can land several impactful players as long as you take on the contractor player. There have been some rare instances where I received an email or text saying, you can basically have anyone on my team if you take such and such's contract. So right now you may be thinking two things. One, why would I want to take on a bad contract? Remember, recency bias. Owners love to go off of the previous year. Do your due diligence and check out the performance of that player in the years prior to and come up with an evaluation of whether that player can regain his old form. Sometimes maybe he was dealing with an injury. Uh, If he's a second-year batter, maybe the league caught up to him and pitchers had a better plan of attack against him. Check to see if that player then made adjustments in the later part of the year. Sometimes the stats for a whole season do not tell the whole pitcher. You can check out fan graphs or baseball reference or stat numbers for the last 30 years prior to the season ending to see if the player himself made any adjustments. And maybe his numbers and metrics tell a different pitcher in August and September than it did from April to July. Hopefully you can gain some insight that the other owner might not be aware of. You are probably saying to yourself, this is number two. This would need to be a perfect storm to stumble upon a situation like this, but that is not necessarily true. You need to outwork the other owners in your league and advance your approach toward roster scanning. If you are actively checking out the rosters of other owners, it is sometimes you that can initiate these types of trades rather than the other owners seeking you out. So the goal for three-up players is to seek out the unwanted contracts from other teams offer a reasonable comp back, and acquire talent on top of that. The goal of the three down players is a little more simplistic. You may have a player on your team whose value has skyrocketed during the offseason. You should have the NFC website bookmarked on your browser so you can constantly check the market for player movement. For those unfamiliar, NFC is a site that hosts season long drafts for thousands of fantasy players. They have several different formats and league types to enter and the entry fees range anywhere from $50 to several thousand. You can win the league prize that you're in, and if you are good enough, they have overall prizes that can stretch to as much as $125,000. What's extremely helpful is that they include all of the average draft positions and average auction values throughout all of the leagues that have drafted. And as an added benefit, you can change the calendar to specifically look at results from a certain range of dates With so much money on the line in these leagues, I trust these ADPs and AAVs as a good source of understanding the market value and having expectancy of where players stand according to their acquisition cost. Okay, back to the three players. Check the market and note any high movers that you may have rostered on your team. Post it on the block to gauge some interest. That is the marginal way of approaching it. The better way is to scan the rosters of other teams. You identify the players you want to be on your team and initiate trade talk with that other owner. The concept is similar to that of trading for an unwanted player in that you are trying to extract more value into your team than what you are giving up. Even if the player on the rise is in fact extremely good, you can always try to get more value in return, especially if that said player is in the spotlight at the moment in time. Capture that value in that moment. With that being said, let's get into three up and three down. But before we do that, there's a word from our sponsor. You ready? Showtime on May third. Summer starts with the Fall Guy. We do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said? See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? No, nope. because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. All right, we're gonna start our three-up column by talking about number one, Andrew Benintendi, 25 years old. He is signed through the end of 2021. Might be motivated. He's young. He's a prospect pedigree. The first round, seventh overall pick in 2015. He has health on his side by amassing over 600 plate appearances in three years in a row. His stock has taken a tremendous fall during his past season and then during his offseason. From November 2019 to February 1st, 2020, he had an average auction value of $15, ranging from as low as $12 to as high as $19. And he had an average draft position of 108 that ranged from as low as $85 to as high as $137. Fast forward to February 1st on, and his average auction value dropped to $13. And he was going for as low as $9 in some leagues, with his ADP dropping five spots from 108 to 113. Now let's check that recency bias. He returned values of $24 and $32, respectively, in 2017 and 2018, which equates to third round value in 2017 and near first round for 2018. He has a three year average of 16 homers, 86 runs, 82 RBIs, 17 stolen bases, and a 275 average. Only 11 players have put up those numbers in a single season over the past three years. The list includes Nakuna, Yellick, Betts, Trevor Story, Lindor, Altuve, Javi Baez. I think you catch my drift. I also love the fact that he leads off. His Woba. Is 340 for the last three years, which is 20 points higher than the major league average. I will explain to you WOBA, read as definitions from both Fangraphs and MLB.com. Weighted on base average, WOBA. WOBA is a version of on base percentage that accounts for how a player reaches base, instead of simply considering whether a player reach base. The value for each method of reaching base is determined by how much that event is worth in relation to projected runs scored. So for example, a double is worth more than a single. It is a rate statistic that attempts to credit a hitter for the value of each outcome rather than treating all hits or times on base equally. It is a better representation of offensive value than batting average or RBIs. For instance, in 2014, a home run was worth 2.1% 0-1 Zero one times on base, while a walk was worth 0.69 times on base. So if a player went one for four with a home run and a walk, his woba would be five fifty eight, which is two point one zero one, which was the homer plus 0.69, which was the walk, divided by five plate appearances. His Statcast sweet spot percentage, which is balls hit in the launch angle range of eight to thirty two degrees which is a range that ultimately leads to better hitter results, has risen in the past three years. Last year, being good enough for 29th best in the league in a down statistical year. He was also shifted on 30% of his at-bats last year, more than double his career average. So he might have to do better to adjust to spraying the ball to the other side of the field if they continue that. He started that in the power department last year. He had three opposite field home runs in his first two seasons, and last year he had six. He came into the season with 20 pounds of added weight and probably affected him enough to change him, especially as a hitter. The bottom line, in a keeper league with contracts, someone most likely acquired him cheap as a rookie or second-year player and contracted him or assigned him for some years. Or maybe this is just the last year of his contract. Find a comp player on your team, trade for Benintendi, and acquire more talent on top of that from the owner who just doesn't believe in his skills anymore. The second player I will talk about is Reese Hoskins, age 27, drafted in the fifth round in 2014. He will be arbitration eligible in 2021. Hoskins' NFC, ADP, and his average option value have remained pretty similar throughout the offseason. However, from February 1st on, his max draft position rose 23 spots than his draft position from November through February. He has a clean bill of health as he had 700 plate appearances last year. He is the 21st most total home runs in the last two seasons. On August 15th last year, he was hit on the hand. And after that, he returned to hit for a 182 average with five homers in 40 games. Before the injury and 527 plate appearances, Hoskins had 24 homers, 70 ribbies, 62 runs, and a 365 Woba. Those numbers were on par to match his 2018 season. The season he returned $21 in fourth round value. His WRC Plus was 125 WRC Plus is formulated and developed off of runs created. If you are new to these turns, I'm going to take the time to tell you what it is. Again, I'll be reading definitions from Fangraphs and MLB.com, which can be found in their glossaries, as they tell a much better picture of what the stat means than what I will be able to tell you. So Runs Created estimates a player's offensive contribution in terms of total runs. It combines a player's ability to get on base with his ability to hit for extra bases. Then it divides those two by the players' total opportunities, which is at-bat plus walks. In runs created, instead of looking at a player's line and listing out all the details, 23 doubles, 15 homers, 10 stolen bases, 55 walks, the information is just synthesized into one metric in order to say Player X was worth 24 runs to his team last year. Weighted runs created plus WRC+. plus. Take statistics runs created and adjust that number to account for important external factors, like ballpark or error. It's adjusted so a WRC plus of 100 is league average and 150 would be 50% above league average. For example, a player who plays his home game that hit a friendly course field will have a lower WRC plus than a player who posts identical stats at pitcher-friendly Oakland Coliseum. WRC Plus, or Weighted Runs Created Plus, is a rate statistic which attempts to credit a hitter for the value of each outcome, single, double, etc., rather than treating all hits or times on base equally, while also controlling for park effects and the current run environment. This makes WRC Plus a better representation of offensive value than batting average, RBIs, OPS, or wOBA. Reese Hoskins had a WRC plus that was 125 before his injury, which is good for top 60 in the league and on par for his average when he had 34 homers in the 2018 season. His expected power index, as tracked by Baseball HQ, is 40% better than the league average. His strikeout rate is slightly increasing year by year, which is a little worrisome but his walk rate is 6% higher than league average and it reflects in his solid on-base percentage for the last three years, which is 360 and that's 40 points above the league average. He was third in the league in pop-ups, which was behind Arenado and in front of Bregman, while being second in the league in fly ball percentage, with 51% of his batted balls being fly balls. He led the league with a launch angle of 24 degrees, which was a one degree, one 1.5 degrees ahead of Edwin Encarnacion and 1.8 ahead of Mike Trout. He was sixth in the league in average distance batted per ball. And guess what? Hopkins was 19th in pull ball rate. No wonder why I like this guy. But he needs to improve on his opera field power as he only had two opposite field home runs last year. Reese Hoskins, he just had the ability to put the ball in the air and usually far. He's in his age 27 prime year. His average projection for the year from the Bat-X by Derek Hardy, which is a tremendous projection system, reached 255, 36 homers, 97 ribbies, and 89 runs. For players with the 97 RBI threshold, only 16 of them are projected to have 89 or more runs as well. That's some good company. Runs and RBIs are very underestimated when it comes to constructing your roster. There are two fairly overlooked stats, and when combined, you can filter out some great talent that can help your teams in multiple categories. As a good practice, write up a list of players who have great combined runs and RBIs, and be sure to target some of these guys to help your statistics in that area. Hoskins is in a solid lineup, and in the regular season, a full regular season, I would have predicted him a bold prediction of 40 plus homers. So if an owner in your league has given up on his skills, maybe take a chance on it and try to extract some more value on top of that from the owner's team. The third player I'm listing in my up column is Byron Buxton, age 26, second overall pick in the 2012 draft, one year left on his contract at 3 million. So he should be motivated for a pretty big payday. He has youth, he's in his prime. He's got the prospect pedigree, which are all things I like. The injuries, well, that's been the biggest drawback for Buxton in his young MLB career. Buxton's NFC ADP has actually seen an increase of 21 spots, going from 164 to 143 His max auction acquisition has also risen from $11 to $14. The market for Buxton has increased since he's essentially been given more time to heal during the COVID shutdown and delay of the MLB season. His injuries from last year include a hit-by-pitch wrist injury that was not his own doing. His other two injuries, though, were caused by his aggressive play in the field, and that comes from him having tremendous outfield value, as he is constantly running into the outfield wall and making diving plays that most outfielders can't get to. However, those plays result in him missing time due, due to a concussion, a sore back, a sore knee, and eventually last year at the end of the season, a torn labrum let's break down some key numbers from this mega-skilled player. His contact rate improved last year, showing more of an ability to put the bat on the ball. And the harder you hit the ball, the better chance you have in getting hit. Per stat cast, he has shown an increased rate of swinging at pitches in the zone, causing him to chase less as well, which is leading to an increase in his hard hit rate. He's swinging and making contact on better pitches to drive. If you hit the ball hard and put it in the air, well, that results in more chances for home runs and extra base hits. Buxton's rate for hard-hit line drives and hard-hit fly balls improved from roughly 10% below league average to 50% better than league average. The Bat-X by Derek Hardy, his projection had him projected as one of only 8 players for 20 homers and 20 steals if the season was fully played out. And that was only in 130 games. There was only 9 players who achieved twenty twenty last year. He has a league average strikeout rate and a slightly below average walk rate. The good news is that he slashed 12 points off his strikeout rate since 2016. Now let's talk about ISO, which stands for isolated power. So for anyone unfamiliar with this term, it's a measure of a hitter's raw power and tells you how often a player hits for extra bases We know that not all hits are created equally, and ISO provides you with a quick tool for determining the degree to which a given hitter provides extra base hits as opposed to singles. It's a statistic which communicates a hitter's extra base per at-bat. ISO is used generally as a measure of power, as doubles, triples, and home runs are usually hit harder and farther than singles. And while hitting for power is a valuable skill... Batters can provide similar offensive value with very different ISOs, meaning that ISO is a useful statistic for understanding what kind of hitter a player is more than as a standalone measure of value. That definition coming from Fangraphs and MLB.com. Buxton's ISO was good for 55th last year, which was 251, and a 90-point increase from 2017, his last full season. Buxton, guess what? Shows a pull-heavy approach. I promise I'm not doing this on purpose. Landing in the top 10 in pull ball rate. For all the stack cast lovers, he increased his launch angle, his exit below, and barrels from the previous years. I have always been pretty tantalized by Byron Buxton's skills, and I'm hoping he can stay healthy to fulfill this promise. I'm true to my word and the advice I gave is: I went out and I traded for Buxton in the offseason in my keeper league. The owner who had him was tired of waiting him to be healthy and erupt and I was hoping to trade him away. In a league where the salary cap is $275, with 12 owners who can keep a max ten players from year to year, I acquired Buckstring for $19 in his last year of his contract. I had Muncie for seven bucks who the other owner had covered I took Buxton from him, and I was also able to snag Brandon Woodruff for three bucks, Matt Boyd for three bucks, and Shari Atani for fifteen bucks. Sometimes, an owner wants to get rid of someone so bad you can capitalize with a trade like this. I depleted my younger keeper option by trading for Degrom last year to make a run for the championship, which ended up working out for me. I ended up winning the league, so this trade basically allowed me to obtain some good keeper options by. Taking on Buxton's contract. I also took on Otani, but I believe tremendously in his skills. So now, Buxton, he has a lot of risk, but the reward could be exponential. He can be a league winner, especially in this short season and in the future. And if he bottoms out, I can still win this trade from the possible value I got from getting Woodruff, Boyd, and Otani, which is the main concept I'm trying to show you guys. Now let's enjoy this 7th inning stretch with music by Mike Rockledge who can be found under Rack Attack W-R-A-C-K Attack on Spotify, SoundCloud and Reverb Asian. A man A man stands alone at a plate This is the time for what? For individual achievement There he stands alone But in the field, what? Part of a team Three down. Now remember, these are players whose value is pretty high so that you can possibly extract lots of talent in return for a hot commodity. Number one is Yu Darvish. He's a 33-year-old pitcher signed through 2023. Let's check out his NFC ADP and NAV. From November to February, he had an average auction value of $23 with a minimum $22 and a max of $24. From February on, his average auction value rose $3 to $26, and his Mac acquisition went up $7 from $24 to 31 His ADP has also risen from 60 to 52 and he has gone as early as 23rd overall, which I think is a little too high. This is coming off the heels of his 81-inning stretch after the All-Star break that saw him with a stat line of 118Ks versus 7 walks with a 2.76 ERA. That was good for an insane 37% strikeout rate at 13Ks per nine. His walk rate was an astounding 2%. His ERA before the All-Star break, that was a 5. He also had 50 walks in 97 innings. His second half produced $29 worth of value, with the exception of his 2013 season where he returned 28, which was when he was 27 years old. He has not returned over $16 of value in any single season, including last year. People are extremely high on his second half for the reason to be buying him at a high price. I'm taking advantage of this by shopping him if you own him. Look for a pitching-starved owner, or if you can convince another owner that his second half is indeed what he will become his norm. Maybe they will take the bait for this 33-year-old pitcher who routinely lands on the injured list. Recency bias works both ways. Sometimes people get turned off by the previous year bad starts, and in this instance, it works by someone being attracted to his strong second-half finish. You probably acquired him at a great cost in 2019, coming off a short 2018 season and an average 2017 season. I say sell. Number two on this list is Mike Clevenger. He's a 29-year-old fourth-round pick in 2011 who was signed through the end of 2020. He should be motivated to get paid so long as he can shake this injury bug. His control was solid last year, but the ball percentage reads not so fast on that. But the rest of his metrics show full growth nearly across the board. I won't bore you guys with the statistic overload here. He has really nothing to pitch skills-wise. So why am I advising you to trade him? Well, the injury bug is one reason. He had a pretty scary back injury in early 2019 and then a sprained right ankle. He then had a procedure to fix a torn meniscus in his landing leg. He has a violent leg kick and a hard land on his plant leg, which might affect his pitching. His NFC ADP stands at 30 overall. The ninth pitcher off the board going at as high as 13 in drafts and commanding an average auction value of 30 with a high of $36. I like his overall tool set and even love his personality on Twitter. But the price is a little too high for me. On an injury-prone 29-year-old pitcher with only 500 innings pitch under his belt, this is a strong sell for me because I think the return will be bountiful, not because of his skill set, which I love. The last guy on the down list, number three, is Anthony Rendon. Rendon, Rendon, age 30. First round, sixth overall pick in 2011. Just signed a huge offseason deal to change teams and coast as he goes from the World Series Champs Nationals to join Mike Trout and the Angels. It's funny how it feels like he's been in the league forever, and yet he does not have a 1,000 career hits yet. and He only has six more home runs in his career than Francisco Lindor, who seems like he hasn't been in the league forever. And three years younger. Rendon has returned an increase in fantasy value for four straight years now. One thing that we do know from playing fantasy is that a trend like that does not always continue. He improved first righties for the fourth straight year, which is a tremendous feat. Per Baseball HQ, he was also in the top 10 of the league in a stat they call quality consistency score, which measures the player's effectiveness and consistency on a week to week basis. Now for you guys who don't know, BaseballHQ.com is the number one site for fantasy baseball advice as well as having the best draft and in-season resource guide with the baseball forecaster. I highly recommend everyone playing fantasy baseball to check out the site and to check out the pre-draft book. It's all worth it. They're paid sites, but it's highly worth the money. It might help you win back. Back to Rendon. The consistency gives him a big push in head-to-head leagues where he is not having weeks that will hurt your team. He pushed his value into the mid-$30 range to return first-round value. I think this was his career year, and it's time to profit off of that. Find an owner who is banking on him, continue his upward trend into his early 30s, and get a pretty good bounty in return. Remember, if you deem a player as a big-time risk-reward candidate, it's okay to roster them. You just have to know when to take risk on your team. The goal is to limit the amount of risk you are rostering, but don't shy away from players who flash in ability to be a tremendous difference maker. By following Ron Chandler and his roster construction process called Babs, I have learned a great deal about tracking the amount of assets and liabilities that you are rostering at the draft. We can get into roster construction at another podcast. I hope I was able to be of some help as we gear up to a possible start of the baseball season, and if you have not drafted yet, try to apply some of these concepts and see how it goes. It's not for everyone, but when executed properly, it can pay off pretty handsomely for you. For beginners or for you guys and gals who maybe don't know some of the analytic terms, I hope I was able to provide some insight into some amazing new tools for measuring player performance. I, too, am learning daily from the wealth of stats at our disposal as well as learning to extract more knowledge from the game by watching it from both an analytic and scouting eye approach. If you would like to hear more, please drop us a note. You can find the Pull Hitter Podcast on Twitter at PullHitterPod and my personal Twitter account at DeadPullHitter. You can also send emails with questions, comments, and suggestions to the Podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of the Pull Hitter Podcast, and we hope to have you again very soon. Be safe be kind to one another and don't always put your socks and shoes on in the same order.